try to embarrass you because I don't have any pictures. But if you are what some would say a, a child of the 60s, would you raise your hand if you remember some of that music, some of that lifestyle? Listen, again, I'm not trying to embarrass you. You don't have to confess anything this morning. Some of you remember that time because you lived it. Others remember that time because you tolerated it. And some are just trying, obviously, to forget that it even happened. But during that time, 60s and 70s time, when hippies ruled the world and songs were about independence and so on, there was a guy who's a famous songwriter named Bob Dylan. And I, I suppose the great theologian Bob Dylan, he, he wrote the song, Blowing in the Wind, and maybe you remember him singing that, or more famously, Peter, Paul, and Mary singing that song. And it opens with, how many roads must a, a man walk down before you'll, you'll call him a man? How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? And throughout that song, he just highlights different things that were going on during the times, and he, he speaks out against war and other things like that. But that opening line sort of sticks with me. And he gets to the, the chorus, in a sense, and he says, the answer, my friend, is what? It's blowing in the wind. Some of you are ready to sing it right now, aren't you? That's right. You're ready to sing it. And that's what he says. The answer is blowing in the wind. Now, there are different interpretations of what he meant by that. And Bob Dylan is a, is a little bit enigmatic. He's sort of a, an odd sort of character, and we don't really know exactly what he meant by blowing in the wind. Did that mean that? It's just sort of out there and you can't really be sure? Or is it just blowing in the wind? It's there in front of you all the time. Just pay attention and you'll realize it. Either one of those, I think, would be appropriate for what we're talking about this morning. It might seem that the answer to that question is blowing in the wind in a confusing way. How many roads must a man walk down before you call him a man? What does it mean to be a man, a great man? It may seem that the answer is Blown in the wind. You really can't know. Or it may seem that the answer is blown in the wind, that it's right in front of us. I think that if you listen to the world and the world system and what people would tell you from various locations, I think they would think it's blown in the wind. You, you can't really know. But I believe that it's blown in the wind. And it's completely obvious from God's Word. The truth is that men in our world... The men in this church and the today face a variety of issues, and we're sort of all in that together, guys. Maybe you can relate to one or more of the types of issues that typical men face, the need to provide. Maybe you face that. Maybe you felt that pressure. Maybe you feel it now. Uh, maybe there's some competition in your life, not, not through sports, but just through lifestyle competition. Maybe you felt the need to sort of outpace another person or to keep up. And maybe you wouldn't vocalize that, but that's on your radar screen. You feel that. That's an issue in your life. I think many men deal with insecurity. It's, it's masked through our pride, but we deal with insecurity. We don't feel quite good enough. We don't feel as if we measure up for a variety of reasons. Some legitimate, some not. We deal with insecurity. I think we deal often, men, with trying to prove something. Trying to prove something often to people who are no longer here. Been there and done that? 
Danny mentioned his father passed away. Some of you have also experienced that. And maybe, fellas, you, you've been trying for years to prove something to your dad, and he's not even here anymore. Or maybe you've been trying to prove something to your dad or to another person in your life, and, and they've never told you, you know what, look, it, it's good enough. You're fine. And you carry that around, trying to prove something. Maybe you deal in competition, and it leads to this comparison of money, how much you make or don't make. Well, that's an easy trap to fall into. Or your job, do you feel like it's worthwhile, or is it just sort of something I go and do that anybody could go and do? What difference does it really make if I show up today? Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you've dealt with comparison and your looks. Fellas, I know we, we certainly would not want to admit this, but oftentimes, like anyone else, we compare ourselves on what we look like, what we used to look like, how much hair we used to have in some cases, that physique that once was there and now has sort of grown in places that you just don't like, you know, I'm with you. Maybe you compare your wife, your family, to that of another man. And there's this comparison all the time. Or maybe you deal today with past hurt, stuff that's just never been resolved, something that happened to you when you were a young man or a boy. Or maybe a young adult, or maybe even recently, you just deal with stuff and you carry it around and you've never been taught how to deal with those emotions because that's not manly to deal with those those sorts of things. Today's not going to be a cry session. I'm not going to ask all the guys to come down and divulge their deepest, darkest secrets and hurts, but I guarantee you some of us carry them around today. Maybe you deal with that. Maybe you deal with feeling like a failure. And the dreams you once had 20 years ago have not amounted to what your life is today. And maybe you look at yourself and you just think, you know what, I have failed. And maybe because of that, you feel like there's just no hope. What's the point even trying? I mean, who cares? I'll just kind of run out the string and forget about it. Maybe you feel that way today, guys. Maybe you're a person who's never received any encouragement whatsoever. Maybe, Maybe the father that you had or still have only talk one way to you, and that was negative. Lots of men have dealt with that. And it's an unfortunate trend that continues even today in many homes. That all we get is one way, and that's negative. Maybe you're a man who's dealt with that. Maybe you even see that in your own life, and you hate it. Oh, you hate it how you talk to your children, what you say to them. But it's just an ingrained habit, because that's all that you were ever told. Maybe you deal with regrets, the what-ifs in life. Boy, if I'd only done this, or, well, I wish I hadn't done that. Broken dreams and so on. Maybe you, like me, always wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. And yet here I stand today. Not disappointed to be in front of you, but certainly a dream that didn't come true for me. And I watch games and I think, I could do that. (laughs) You know, I really do sometimes. I really do. Now, I'm full of myself, but I really think sometimes I can do that. Maybe you're that kind of person. Guys, we deal with a lot of different issues. We get mixed messages from our society. In our society, we are told, man, that we really aren't needed. You're not needed in your home. You're not needed in society. Uh, that's, a, that's a message that's given. And whether you realize it or not, it's subtle, but it's there. And you are simply not needed. You're also told that you're not good enough. It doesn't matter what you do. 
that you'll never be like this person or that person. I mean, you look at the heroes that our children have. They make lots of money. They're good-looking folks. They're famous. We're told we're not good enough. We're often the butt of jokes and stereotypes. I sat under a pastor at one point who, in every joke, it seemed that he told about marriage or family, it always came back to the dad being the butt of the joke. And I swore from that day on, Lord, if you ever give me the opportunity to preach in a pulpit, I'll never do that. Never do that. Because men don't need to hear that anymore. We don't need to be stereotyped or joked about. Have we earned some of that? Potentially. But we'll never overcome it if we don't move forward. Who am I talking to today? I believe I'm talking to men as individuals who really need to develop in our lives what it takes to be a great man. I'm talking to husbands today who desperately need for their wives to be a great man. I'm talking to dads who for your children, no matter what age they are, whether they still live in your home or not, you need to be a great man for them. I'm talking to grandfathers, uncles, brothers, friends, co-workers, whomever it may be, that I believe God wants you to be a great man for I'm not just talking to men today, though. I'm also talking to women. I realize there are some women here in the crowd who are married. And my prayer is that you will turn what we have to say today, what we look at today, into a prayer for your husband. God, make him a great man. Not through my encouragement, which is sometimes masked as nagging, ladies, but through my prayers. God, make him a great man. Lift him up. Talking to moms who have sons that you're raising and that you still have influence over, even if they don't live in your home. Lord, make my sons great men. Talking to grandmothers who you may be the only and the greatest prayer warrior that your grandsons will ever have. Don't stop. And I'm also talking to those who are single, ladies, because I want you to get the idea of what you're aiming for and settle for nothing less than a great man of God. Settle for nothing less. So it's going to hit all of us today. I'm thankful, though, that we don't have to just find the answer blowing in the wind as if we don't have any clue. I'm thankful that God does not leave us in the dark about the issues of life, but he shows us explicitly, I believe, from the Scripture what it takes to be a great man. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I've realized that Genesis is one of my favorite books to read and one of my favorite books to preach. For some reason, I, I look back over the last couple of years that I've been here at Elm Grove, and I preach on Genesis quite a bit. Not really necessarily by design. It's not trying to single it out, but what a great, great book of Scripture to show us lots of how things began and how we were originally designed to live. I want you to look with me. At Genesis chapter 5, verse 21, we'll read just through verse 24. Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. Maybe that name sounds familiar. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered sons and daughters. So Enoch's life lasted 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not there. Some of your versions may say, he was no more, or he was not found, because 
God took him. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate on the ages. I happen to believe that because of the way this is written, we should take this in literal form, and he literally did live that long. We'll leave that debate for some other day. What I want to focus on this morning is what defines greatness. And I believe in the life of Enoch, and in some other scriptures we'll see in just a minute, not just by implication, but by explicit description, I think we'll find here what defines greatness. And I believe that it's very short and it's very simple, and I want you to get this, men, women, I want you to understand this today. What defines greatness? You'll see on the back of your bulletin a way you can follow along. And maybe you'll write this down today. Simply this. What defines greatness? He walked with God. He walked with God. What does it say about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. That's basically the description of his life. There are three passages of Scripture that talk about this man. This is one of them. This is where we get his biographical sketch, so to speak. And I I want to say that if he had a tombstone, if he were living today and his family were to write something on there, it would probably be he walked with God. Short biography, but speaks volumes. I'll be honest with you, as you look at that definition of greatness, guys, that really ought to be a relief to you. It really should be a relief. It ought to let you off the hook. It ought to get you away from the confusing message of the world into the simple message of God that that greatness is defined by walking with God. I believe based upon the entire canon of Scripture, we can say that greatness, according to God, is walking with God. Now, there are some who don't believe that this truly defines greatness. You're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, okay, maybe it's a good starting point. There's got to be more than that. I mean, it's, you know, let's be honest. I mean, we live in a real world. We're just walking with God. That's great. And I mean, some of you probably are cynical in believing that today. I want you to write down just a couple of scripture references. We won't turn there. But I believe this, this, this is woven throughout the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Chapter 10, verse 12. Chapter 30, verse 16. So that's Deuteronomy 8, 6. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And Deuteronomy 30, 16, and this is among others. I just selected a few. It says, walk in his ways, implying walk with God. Moses is telling them, look, you're going into a great land. You want to be great people. You want to be great men. Walk in his ways. Walk with God. Micah chapter 6. Micah 6, verse 8. Maybe a familiar verse for some of you. The prophet Micah sets it up, and he says, what does God really want from us? And he says, to love God mercy, to act justly, and to walk humbly with your God. So the beginning of the Old Testament, into the prophets, and of course you have the life of Jesus who modeled in human form what walking with God looks like. He said, I and the Father are one. And I do what he tells me to do. I walk with him. In 1 John, basically the whole book is about how do I know if I'm really a Christian or not? And he says, those who have come to know him will walk as he walked. You'll walk with God. 
So this is not something that's just pulled out of this Genesis chapter 5 about some guy named Enoch who lived a long time, who had a son named Methuselah, who lived longer than anybody else, and I just rip it out of Scripture. It's not what it's about. It's a theme throughout Scripture, that greatness is defined as walking with God. And of course, that flies in the face of so much of what we've been taught about what greatness really is. And guys, I don't know about you, but it was a great reminder for me this week as I studied this particular passage of Scripture just to be let off the hook to say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I accomplish or don't accomplish. It doesn't matter how much money I make or don't make. It doesn't matter who knows my name and who couldn't care less about me because greatness is defined as walking with God. It's, a, it's, it's letting me off the hook. And I pray today that it does that for you. Greatness is simply and very different, simply different from what the world teaches, obviously. The world likes money. The world likes achievement. The world likes image and physique and independence. The world really offers no simple definition of greatness, and it changes it all the time. If you were to trace cultural history and you look at different times, what was what were men to be? At certain times, they were to be warriors and go out and fight. At other times, they were, they were supposed to go kill all their food all the time. This is what you had to do. At other times, they were to be really sensitive. It changes all the time. And maybe some of those things are all wrapped up into what God says is walking with him, but the truth is God's definition never changes, and I'm thankful for that. I've always got something to go back to. So no matter what culture tells me, no matter what society tries to put in my life, God's word says the same thing over and over, that greatness is walking with him. It never changes. Enoch displayed this, and obviously I believe the rest of the Bible reflects it. So greatness is walking with God, but, but what's involved with that? What does that mean? If I want to be a great man, I want to walk with God, what's, what's involved? Moms, grandmothers, if you're praying for your sons, how can you specifically pray that they'll walk with God? What are the elements? Ladies, if you are, if you are single, even if you're dating somebody right now, you say, what should I be looking for in a person that could wind up being my husband? What are the elements to that? Men, if you want to know, okay, I want to be great, I want to be great according to God's word, but what does that involve? I think we can find out from the life of Enoch. I want you to hold your place in Genesis 5, and I want you to flip way over to the New Testament. We're going to go almost all the way to the end. We're going to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. What is involved in this walking with God? Look at look at chapter uh, chapter eleven, verse five. Maybe maybe you understand a little bit about Hebrews eleven. It's called the chapter of faith. It lists these different folks who are held up in our terms as the hall of faith. We can look at them. We say, "There's a person of faith," and "There's a person of faith." And then Hebrews chapter twelve says, "Now that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people of faith, let us be people of faith. Let us run our race." And so we see in verses five and six, the writer of Hebrews talks about Enoch. Look at it in verse five: "By faith, Enoch was taken away, so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God took him away. Prior to his transformation, he was approved. Don't miss this." Having pleased God. He pleased God. How did he do that? Look at verse 6. Now, without what? Faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those 
you seek him. Enoch pleased God. And so put this equation together. He pleased God. What's required for pleasing God? It's not your question. It's in the verse. Faith. And so what did Enoch have that pleased God? Faith. You guys are sharp. I'm telling you. You are sharp. Somewhere in there there's a math major. Just hide, right? Absolutely. You guys get it. The first thing that is involved in walking with God is faith. That's what pleases God. The truth is that God only walks with those in whom he has pleasure. He's only walking with those with whom he's pleased. And the only way we can please him is to have faith in him and to trust him. And Enoch, both in his description and in what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, displays that. Faith, walking with God in faith, implies that we are in agreement with God's ways. That we have placed our trust in his word and say, yes, this is the way that I should walk. The truth is we can't walk contrary to him and still be with him. You understand what I'm saying? If I, if I were walking sort of arm in arm with somebody, and I wanted to go that way, and he wanted to go that way, we're going to have trouble staying together. Why? Because we're in contradiction. And this is simple. This is not anything profound, but you understand we have to be in agreement with God's word and with his principles in order to walk with him. Because if we're not, we're walking, but we're not walking with God. We're going to be going somewhere, but God's not with us. We're not with him. And so the walking will be on his terms in agreement with what he says. And we must agree in faith that his way is the best. So faith implies that we're in agreement. It also implies obedience. But not just do we say, yeah, that's God's word, but I will also yield my life and adjust my life to what I see in the Scripture. I will hold the Scripture up as the rule. This is what I will measure my life by. And when I find that my life is somehow not in agreement with this, I will make adjustments. I won't change the scripture. I won't try to make adjustments or, or, or sort of change, well, maybe God didn't really mean that. No, no. I will make adjustments on my life. If not, then I'm not walking in faith. I'm not walking with God any longer. Because now I'm trusting and I have self-will as opposed to what God's will wants for my life. So we cannot retain our self-will and still walk with God. The truth is, the only way for me to know peace, to know joy, to know contentment, to please God, all of that, the only way for that to happen is for me to yield my life in faith to his direction for what he wants for me. It certainly requires faith, because that's a road that some of us have not been down yet. It requires faith, trusting in God. The journey for Enoch began in faith, no question. The journey for us begins in faith, and it continues in that way. And that's the life that pleases God, as we see in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I want you to know this, too, fellas. That Enoch didn't please God because of his great accomplishments, or his personality, or his business savvy, or how much stuff he had accumulated, or because of how he looked, or anything else like that, his talent or anything. He pleased God based upon one word, and what was it again? Faith. That's it. Guys, you can try to earn God's favor all day long, and you will never, never, never do it. If you don't trust him, that's it. And I'm thankful it lets me off the hook. I don't have to measure up to some obscure standard. I just need to trust God. And in so doing, I gain his pleasure. He is pleased with me when I trust him. So faith is the first thing that's involved. The second thing that's involved is communication. Communication. 
it's evident that, that Enoch regarded God as, as a living friend, not as some force that's out there, not as some distant figure, some God who's not concerned with life. That's not the God of the Bible. You can't read the Bible and believe that God is distant. You just can't do it. So if you say you believe the Bible, then you have to believe in a living, personal God. That's the way that it is. That's the way the Bible presents God. He comes near to his people. And it's obvious that Enoch believed in that sort of God. He knew the God of the Bible, the one who is our father, the one who is our friend, the one who is here with us. The, the word walk even implies fellowship and familiar conversation. You think about the relationships in your life. None of them have good fellowship or, or, cl- or close, or sort of an intimate relationship without lots and lots of conversation. Man, folks that are married, how many have been married 20 years or more? Okay. Nancy and I celebrated our 11th anniversary yesterday, so we're, we're, we're sort of over the hump for 20 years right now. So I'm, I'm tracking towards you. We've got our goals set on about 60 or 70. That's where we're headed, all right? But if you've been married for 20 years or more, you have probably experienced in your life times when you didn't really communicate very well or very often. And I would venture to say, maybe you've been married less than that. You said, oh, let me raise my hand on this one, too. I don't know. Don't elbow your spouse. They're here. But I would venture to say that that lack of communication or, or no communication has led to a distance that you feel in your relationship without question. You cannot be in a thriving marriage and never communicate or always miscommunicate. You with me? I mean, it just doesn't happen. But I guarantee you that you look back over those 20 years or more, obviously, and you probably see the times, you know, we were really close then. You know what we did? We talked about everything. We turned the television off. We, we just sort of sat there. Whatever it was, we, we just we talked about everything. And, and I believe that Enoch's relationship with God implies that sort of communication that it takes to maintain and to develop a healthy relationship. He discussed, I'm sure, his troubles with God, his joys, his secrets, his pain. I mean, you look at the Bible, and we see that we can be honest with God. I challenge you at some point, go read some of the Psalms. You read any of the Psalms, you just see they're up and down all the time. You think, these people are just crazy. What's going on? No, they're just honest with God. They're having honest and open and continual conversation with God. We see the highs and lows. They talk to God about everything. They were mad at God. They accused God of stuff. But they talked with God. They communicated with him. And that's how they developed their relationship, their walk with God. The truth is that God wants us to walk with him that way, just like Enoch did. He'll do it with us, just like he did with those people in the Old and New Testament. He hasn't changed. So how often, I ask you, do you communicate with God? Is it, is it sort of a patch for your life? Well, I've talked about it. I need to. Maybe so. I encourage you to take that a step further. Talk with God on a regular basis. He wants it to be continual, to just be natural, just like you're breathing. He also, I believe, wants it to be honest, to be humble, but to be confident as well, knowing that he's with you and that he hears you. Communication. Third thing is consistency. Consistency. Go back to Genesis chapter 5. Told you to hold your place there. Some of you never turned. That's fine. You're already there. You'll beat me there. Genesis chapter 5 again. It says in verse 22, After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. How long? You you there? 300 years. 300 years he walked with God. Some of us struggle to do that for a day and a half. 
He walked with God for three hundred years. This was the mark of his life from the time he first believed until God took him away. He walked with God consistently. He couldn't get enough of God. Couldn't get enough of walking with him. And he never stopped. He never got to a point where he retired from his walk with God. Never did it. And some of us have taken early retirement in life. We stopped walking with God at an early age. Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And the Bible speaks that he walked with God until the point that God took him away. He didn't have to experience death. I can't guarantee that you won't die if you walk with God. But Enoch, until the very last breath he took on earth, walked with God. And folks, I don't care what age you are. Young, older, in between. That ought to be some inspiration for you right there. That ought to be a challenge for you. That ought to be a conviction for some of us. When, when did I stop walking with God that way? Have I stopped? Have I said, well, that was for my youth, or, or that'll be for one day? When have I stopped? Enoch never stopped. He didn't just patch the holes of his life with God. This was the scene that held it all together. This wasn't just something when, when a problem happened, well, I need to walk with God. Let me put a patch on this part of my life. No, no. This was the scene that held it all together. He walked with God on the mountaintop, in the valley, through good times and bad. The truth is that you and I are what we consistently practice and what we consistently do. That's who we are. That's what we are. One decision, one step, one day at a time, we build our lives. And we become and we are what we consistently practice and do. Greatness comes through those small things done consistently well over time. The truth is long-term consistency is not popular in our world at all. We like things to be done just like that. Like, Like working out. We like those commercials that we see, six-minute abs or something. It just doesn't even make sense, you know. And you try that, and you can't move the next day, you know, whatever. We like these quick fixes. The truth is, that's not the way life works. It's consistency over time. We want something for nothing quite often or just a shortcut, and God says, no, no, be consistent. You'll be the person I want you to be. Just be consistent. I've got a workout program, and the guy, the very first video, is just, is just saying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to do it. But well, what he says is, is the hardest thing. He says, keep pushing play. Keep pushing play. Keep pushing play. You know, you know why? Because you're so sore the next day that you, you, you can't even get your arm up there to push play. You just don't even feel like it. Truth is, in life, it's the same way. Every day, just keep pushing play on your walk with God. Today, today, today. I will walk with God. Keep pushing play. Those who consistently walk with God truly know and experience Him. The fourth thing is growth. Walking with God is naturally progressive. We don't walk backward. We walk forward. There's growth. There's movement. There's no way that Enoch was the same 300 years after he began walking with God. You can't walk with God for that long or any extended period of time. 300 years sounds long. Okay, right. You can't walk with God for two years, literally, and, and, and consistently walk with God and not be changed and not be grown. Faith plus communication plus consistency is going to equal growth every single time. Enoch grew in the same things that God wants us to grow. He grew in the knowledge of God. He knew more about God. He knew more of God. And he grew in the likeness of God. You walk with someone long enough, you're going to begin to walk like them, to think like them, to talk like them. It's exactly the way that God wants it for us. Walking with God implies, obviously, that you'll grow, that I'll grow, and that I'll change, and that you'll change. Because we'll be strengthened. 
will be sanctified, which means that our lives will be continually cleaned up, becoming more like Jesus. We'll be instructed, and we'll be made more able to do God's will. So growth is involved. And then the fifth thing is witness. What's involved in being a great man? All these things plus witness. Way over in the New Testament, right before Revelation, there's a little book, one chapter book called Jude. And if you turn it fast, you'll miss it. It's right after 3 John, right before Revelation. And in verse 12 of the only chapter in Jude, it says this, There are the ones who are like the dangerous reefs at your love feast. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Talking about an evil time, evil people, just some figurative language to help you know it's an evil time. And Enoch, verse 14, and the seventh generation from Adam prophesied about them. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict them of all their ungodly deeds that they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. What is Enoch doing? You realize when, when, when it says he prophesied, that doesn't mean he's telling the future in this case. It means he's telling them how it is. Here's the truth about now. That's what he's saying. You folks are evil, he tells them. You're going the wrong way. He witnessed on behalf of God. Enoch was the type of person that walked with God, and because of that, he couldn't be silent about God. He couldn't just sort of make it a private matter. Well, my faith in God is just private. I really don't want to impose on anybody. No. Enoch's life displays that you can't walk with God and be silent. It can't happen. It's impossible because God fills you up in such a way you can't help but talk about his love, about his grace, about his forgiveness, about the life that he has developed inside you. He lived for the Lord and he wanted others to do the same. And he went against and stood against the evil current of his day with both his words and his life. And some of you looking at your paper there and you say, man, that's, that's a tall order. Truth is, this is possible today because it's what God wants for you, and He will enable you, men, to live this great life. Enoch wasn't abnormal or superhuman. He wasn't any different than you or me. He was human. But his life was simply marked by walking with God. He didn't have it any easier than you or me. He was a public figure. His name's written down in the Bible, which means he had to have been well-known. He was a husband. He had children. His life was probably busy. He probably had frustrations. He probably had an argument from time to time, or discussion rather, with his wife over the issues that they faced. I don't know if you argue. You discuss. It's just, you know, the, the volume goes up occasionally, right? He was a normal guy. He had responsibilities. He had to provide for his family. And all the issues that we face just in a different time period. And so if it was possible for him to live this great life, and by all means, it's possible for us, guys, to live in the same way. He was a great man because he walked with God. And then this is the type of man that you and I must become for our wives, for our children, for our families, 
for jobs, for those around us, whoever we have influence on, we must become this kind of man. Ladies, if you're single, this is the kind of man you're looking for, period. Don't settle for anything less than a man who walks with God. And let me tell you this. Let me speak to you, I suppose, as teenagers. I used to be a youth pastor. But ladies, if you are a single woman in here, even if you are in a relationship, and the guy that you're in a relationship does not, his life does not match up with walking with God, drop him like a bad habit and move on. And I say that not because he's an awful guy or because I'm mad at you. Let me tell you what. God has designed you to be in a relationship with a great, godly man. Don't settle for anything less than that. Trust God, and he will provide. I guarantee you, he will provide when you trust him. Moms, grandmothers, sisters, pray that the men in your lives will become this great man of God. Don't stop praying until it happens. Don't stop praying until it happens. Don't just pray once. Pray every day. Pray every time you think about it. Pray every time you see him. Every single time. Pray that God will make him that kind of man. Because it's only going to be through God that it happens. You can't change him yourself. Only God can change him. So pray that God will make him that kind of man. Love him. Support him. Encourage him. But pray that God will make him that kind of man. Don't stop. Why is all of this so important? I want you to consider the results. Results of this, first of all, is a life of impact. Impact. The truth is, anyone who walks with God has tremendous impact as they model the love, the faithfulness, the grace of God to those around them. You know those kinds of people. They leave an indelible mark on your life. You're changed because you've been around them. You know somebody who's good at you, it's just, when you're around them, it's just like being with Jesus. It's wow. What an incredible impact that person makes on the home, on the, the family, on the workplace, on the church. Those people are rare. And so we see the impact that that makes. The truth is you'll never know the impact that, that you are having. I came across this. I thought it was interesting. Maybe you can relate. Some of you are four years old. The quote is, my daddy knows everything. My son's five. So we're somewhere between this and the next one. Eight years old, my daddy is really smart. Doesn't know everything. Twelve years old, my dad probably doesn't know that. Sixteen, my dad is absolutely clueless. I know none of you said that about your dad. Twenty-one, dad is pretty out of touch. Thirty. I'd like to find out what dad thinks. 40. Let's get dad's opinion before we make a decision. 50. I wish I could ask my dad about that. He's pretty smart. 60. My dad knew absolutely everything. And 70. I'd give anything if dad were here. I'd really miss him. You never know the impact you'll make. Through those different seasons of life, it all comes back around. If you are a great man of God, I guarantee you, You'll have a great impact on your family, on your children, on those around you. There's always someone who's watching, always someone who's learning, always someone waiting to do what you do. A couple years ago, we were living in Georgia, and my son Hank was about two years old at the time, and we were in his room, and I don't exactly remember the entire context, but we had... It was either around a birthday or Christmas or something like that. And so they had gotten a bunch of, of gifts, obviously. And so I was trying to help my two-year-old understand that we need to be thankful for what we have. And I, I mentioned to him 
You know, everything we have comes from God. He's the one who gives us everything that we have. He's the one who provides. He cares for us so much. I said, everything we have comes from God. And Hank looked at me and he said, you're God. And I tell you what, I, I was sitting down, but if I hadn't been, I would have had to sit down on that one. You know why? Because it stopped me in my tracks. Because he's looking at me. My children are looking to me. Husbands, fathers, men. Your family, your world is looking to you for impact. And I pray they have to look no further than you to find that great godly man. I pray God makes me that kind of man for my children. I don't want them looking any further than me. You can have an impact. Secondly is a legacy, which I believe is the future impact, not just now, but the legacy. Closely related to impact, of course, but it lasts longer. It's sort of what you leave behind. Enoch's legacy is amazing. He fathered Methuselah, and he went on and so on, and he had other people in this line. And we get down to Genesis chapter 6, and what's what's amazing, you have this evil world that that Noah is in. In verse 8, it says, Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9, these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. And look at the next line. Noah, what? Walked with God. That's Enoch's legacy. Generations followed him. And guess what was said about those people who came behind him? They walked with God. What was said about Enoch? He walked with God. What was said about Noah hundreds of years later? He walked with God. You'll never see that in person. Those generations that follow you. But you have the opportunity to change it right now. Some of you, if you look at the generations that have preceded you, and you don't want to be anything like them. So draw a line of the sand. Turn around. Stop that pattern. Some of you look back and you say, oh, I don't want to mess up what God has developed in my family. Then don't. Just walk with God. Walk with God. What will the generations behind you experience, fellas? What will they experience because of your life? And the truth is, your legacy is less about how you're remembered and, and more about the ripples that you cause in history. The history of your family, the history of your workplace, whatever it may be. You don't have to be famous, of course, to make that happen. You really don't. And the third thing behind impact, legacy, is true greatness. Charles Spurgeon, the great 18th century preacher and theologian said it this way in his sermon on Enoch. He said, the first remark is that the details of his life are very few. We do not know much about Enoch, and this is to his advantage. Happy is the nation which has no history, for a nation which has history has been vexed with wars and revolutions and bloodshed. But a nation that is always happy, peaceful, and prosperous has no chronicle to attract the lover of sensations. Happy is Enoch that we cannot write a long biography of him. The few words, Enoch walked with God, suffice to depict his whole career until he was not, for God took him. Many of those dazzling events and striking incidents and sensational adventures which go to make up an interesting biography may attract attention, but they do not minister to the real excellence of life. No life, don't miss this, no life can surpass that of a man 
who quietly continues to serve God in the place where providence has placed him. I believe that in the judgment of angels and all pure-minded beings that 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 woman's life is most to be admired, which consists simply of this. She did what she could. And that a man's life shall be most noteworthy of whom it can be said he followed the Lord faithfully. Enoch's life has no adventures. Is it not adventure enough for a man to walk with God? What ambition can crave a nobler existence than abiding in fellowship with the eternal? Great men walk with God. Great men walk with God. There is no true greatness apart from walking with God. And true greatness only comes through just that. I'm going to close the service in a little different way this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you by any means. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to give a speech. But men... I want you to do me a favor if you are physically able. I just want you to stand. I'm standing here. I'd like for you to stand there. If you're you're physically able. Again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call any names. Just like men, if you would stand. Greatness begins with faith in Jesus Christ. Greatness continues by walking with God. By walking with God in faith, by walking with God through conversation, by walking with God with consistency on a path of growth, and as a witness to His goodness, His love, and His salvation. That's greatness. And so I ask you, have you come to Him in faith? Is that the basis of your relationship with God? Is that what you're counting on for salvation? Is it faith alone? Because of God's free gift. Is it that? Well, I hope it is. And fellas, if not, today can be the day. Don't put it off. For God's sake, for your sake, for your family's sake, don't put off placing your faith in Jesus Christ as the only hope for salvation. Don't reject Him. The greatest sin is not something we commit externally, but it's the sin of unbelief which condemns us, the Bible says, to hell one day. So believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Begin that journey of greatness. And I ask you also, are you walking with God? If you've already given Him your life, are you walking with God like Enoch did? Fellas, you'll never experience greatness apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. You'll never know true impact and generational legacy apart from Him. So maybe your prayer today is, Jesus, make me a great man. I may be young, I may be old, I may be in between, but Jesus, make me a great man. A man who walks with God, a man of faith, a man who pleases you, Lord, a man of impact for my family, for my church, for my workplace, a man of legacy for generations to come. As we close this morning, I want you to remain standing. Everyone else will join you here in just a few minutes, all right? But I want to take the time just to pray for the men who are here this morning. And you may be sitting next to one of these men who's standing. And maybe you're a wife. Maybe you're a child of one of these men. Maybe you're a friend. Maybe you're a co-worker. Maybe you just happen to be sitting next to them this morning. But as we pray together this morning, I, I would like to invite you, if you're sitting close, just put a hand on that guy's shoulder. You may need to stand next to him to do that, and that's fine. 
place a hand on his shoulder and just say, you know what, I'm supporting you. I'm praying for you to be that great man. And you're not in this alone. And fellas, you may be. So bold as to say, you know what, I'm just, just going to raise my hands to the Lord this morning as we pray to say, I surrender. I give you my life. I want you to make me a great man. I'm giving up all these other pursuits of the ways I've tried to be great. And Lord, just today, make me a great man. If you would, let's bow our heads. And if you're close, why don't you place a hand on his shoulder? And fellas, if you're so inclined, feel free to lift your hands to the Lord as we pray. Jesus, make us great men. Men of faith who walk with you. Lord, I thank you that the definition of greatness is not confusing. It's not blowing in the wind where no one can understand it. But God, it's clear in your word. And Lord, it lets us off the hook. Praise God. Lord, we give you our hurt. We give you our disappointment. We give you our failures. We give you our discouragement, Lord, we give you all the junk that it, that's in our lives. Lord, we give you all the ways that we've tried to be great. And Lord, we turn that over to you this morning. And as some of us may lift our hands, we say we surrender. We surrender, God. Make us the men you want us to be. Help us, Lord, to walk with you today. And then tomorrow to get up and walk with you that day. And may that be the one thing that can be said about our lives when all is said and done, that he walked with God. So, Lord, raise up great men, men who walk with you here at Elm Grove. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you enable us to walk with you. We thank you for your free gift of salvation. It comes through Jesus Christ alone. Help us, Lord, to be great men of God who just simply walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.